ChatGPT has taken the world by storm with new uses for the AI tool popping up every day. Is this the beginning of a new AI revolution? We'll look at the latest innovations in today's episode. Welcome back to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. The generative AI tool ChatGPT from OpenAI continues to take the internet by storm, with people finding new ways to use the tool for both good and not-so-good purposes. For example, within the last few weeks, here are just some of the uses of ChatGPT that we've discovered. Uh, the New York City school public syst- uh, school system announced that it would ban the use of ChatGPT by students and not allow them on devices because they are concerned about cheating by students that are using the text tool to come up with essays and other types of cheating type things. Just as fast, though, uh, as a response to the cheating potential, several tools have been developed that help recognize whether text is written by ChatGPT or an AI. Underground hacking communities are reportedly looking at ways to use ChatGPT to help create malware and other cyber attack methods. There's a company out there called Do Not Pay, which is utilizing ChatGPT to create a robot lawyer, which can help people contest parking tickets. And the CEO of that company is offering $1 million to any lawyer who can succeed in using the tool to argue a case in front of the Supreme Court. A company called Beautiful.ai launched DesignerBot, which automates presentation creation and custom image generation for presentations, pitch decks, sales proposals, and more based on a text prompt. So if you're in the marketing department, you're going to love just creating PowerPoint presentations just like that. Um, We'll see how good or bad those are. Uh, And even actor Ryan Reynolds, who owns Mint Mobile, uh, basically used ChatGPT to help write an advertisement for his company. And he said that the results were mildly terrifying. So if you get a chance, watch that video, because it it is uh, rather funny about him writing the uh, the ad. So uh, those are just a, a few of the examples. There's a lot more. Uh, But also, at the the same time, uh, Microsoft reportedly plans to invest $10 billion in OpenAI, which is the creator of ChatGPT and its art tool, uh, which is called DALL-E. Microsoft also announced a separate tool at the same time, or at least least, uh, it was reported that a separate tool came up um, that can imitate any voice with just a three-second sample. So we're going to get into that, too, because that's mildly terrifying as well. Uh, So we've got a lot to talk about today, and joining me on this call is uh, Ritu Jyoti, the Group Vice President of AI and Automation Research at IDC, and Mike Tabor. He is a software engineer, entrepreneur, and author of the Single Founder Handbook. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks for having us. All right. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, so, so Ritu, the first question, this is going to be for both of you guys, but I'll start with Ritu. Are you amazed sort of at the speed and the quantity of the different tools and, and use cases that have come up around this? Uh, again, this, this tool was, was released in November, and it just seems like the speed of everything that's coming out is just a lot faster than we're, than we're used to. Or is it more of that the technology was already, was already there and the hype just sort of you know, got more people to pay attention to it? Yeah, thank you, Kate. Great question. I mean, it's definitely very fascinating, but I have to acknowledge that between chat GPT and stable diffusion, and now with Valley, AI suddenly becomes mainstream. It feels mainstream, right? Uh, But having said that, and it has created a lot of buzz and controversies and all of that, but having said that, the, the main inflection point was the transformer model architecture, which was introduced in 2017. So, uh, you know, the flurry of innovation really started happening from that, but the the, the real point where it caught everyone's attention was chat GPT. Right. 
And Mike, what what are you hearing in, in the, the communities that you kind of cover and, and, and watch? Yeah, I mean, I, I think she's absolutely right about the fact that it, like back in 2017 is kind of really when things started to change. And I think that with this technology and you can trace it back to a, a lot of other things, whether it's, uh, you know, geolocation or mapping back to the early cell phone days. The if you remember back that far, if you're listening to the show, the thing that you saw was that those tools like tools, would, new tools would come out and they seemed OK at the time. But I think that what is different with chat GPT is that the the quality level of it is so much higher than you're used to seeing from tools that that are generally new. Now, chat GPT is actually this is like a third version of chat GPT. Right. So there was a, a second version and a first version before that. And those didn't get nearly as much attention, reason being they just weren't as good. But as they start throwing more resources at it, more computing technology, um, and the scale of the data points that they're using increases, then those tools get dramatically better. And then they become attention grabbing. They become those headlines that you start paying attention to. Right. Um, GPT-2 only had like one and a half billion data points that it was working from, whereas GPT-3 has 175 billion and GPT-4 is rumored to have 100 trillion. And so you've got this like um, multiple uh, exponents associated with the amount of data that they're sending into them, which when AI is based off these data models, they just get that much better when you throw that much more data at them to use to generate the uh, outputs. Right. So this proves that 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 whole point that people were telling me about about AI is that the more data you throw at something, the the better the algorithm gets. And we saw that in the in the art world. I think Dolly is now on Dolly too. When Dolly came out, I think last early last year. People were typing in some of the prompts, and the, the the artwork was horrible. And you could just obviously tell that it was like, this is this is not great. And a lot of people's first impressions of AI drawing art was this first this first version of Dolly. But then, so everyone sort of ignored it for a while, or at least maybe didn't pay as much attention. But then Dolly two came out, and then the last time I looked at it, I was like, wow, this is so much better than before. I I think that's what amazes a lot of people is that how good it's gotten in little time. Jody, yeah. would you, or Rita, would you agree on that? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to chime in with a couple more points as well. But yes, absolutely. I mean, chat uh, GPT is being real as one of the, the, you know, the most intelligent chatbot, right? And as I was talking about the, in the formation or coming together of the transformer model architecture, one thing which is very important, of course, data points are, you know, the more data you throw in, the better and the more contextual accuracy and the more accurate it becomes. But there are other factors into play as well, right? With the transformer model architecture, it is also parallelizable to train enabling researchers to leverage the GPU improvements. You know, so if you look into this space, the GPU performance is measured in flops and it has been doubling every two, two and a half years. Right. And the cost per flop has been also been halving every two, two and a half years. And the other thing is like, you know, which Mike was mentioning, and I want to kind of, you know, uh, a little bit uh, drill further into it is that there are two aspects, right? One is the number of parameters and the other is the number of data points, right? So what is, you know, there's another theory which has come up right now here is that it's still, you know, there's still work being done that they're very, very large and large is leading into a lot of compute resources and it can be very expensive to further inference and fine tune, right? So there are some efforts and Mike actually alluded to GPT-4, nobody knows for sure what exactly it's going to be. But one point is being there that, you know, 
it could be actually aligning to do a better optimization of the size and the, the number of token points, right, or the data points, which can help when you reduce the size of the model, it can help you reduce the compute cost and it can actually further reduce the cost of inferencing and fine tuning. So we are keeping our fingers crossed, and you know, uh, if I'm if I'm pronouncing it right, Chinchilla, or you know, what is the name of the model that was created by Google DeepMind? And they used a lot lesser number of uh, you know parameters, and they are claiming that that can be a you know, it's the performance can be still good enough. So lots, lots of work. Right. I, and I hate to, to I hate to use these buzzwords because I hate them myself, but I'm going to use them yeah. anyway. So are we at a tipping point here where um, this is now going to be the start of a, of a big wave of, of more things? And I also want to, there's another one that I hate using too. It's that perfect storm, that convergence. Like you mentioned GPUs. So obviously yeah. those have gotten better. The data sets have gotten better. The algorithms have gotten better. Are we at that ugh, perfect storm of creating a tipping point? Oh my God, my, Chris is going to hate me for that one. <laughs> like, like, are we there? Or is this, is this more just that, oh, this is another, another hype wave? And this will go away or people will look at it and go, well, it's not right there yet. Or like, where do you see this being in the yeah. timeline of, of the Internet? Because, again, remember when the obviously yeah. when the Internet started browsers and then boom, everything took off. Like, are we there yet or do we think that this is just a little blip wave? Mike, I'll start with you. So, yeah. yeah, I but, think everyone has their own opinion. Yeah. I'm going to start with my opinion. I purpose I seriously feel that 2023 will be a very telling year. There has been a flurry of innovation with larger models in 2020 since 2017. One interesting point that I've noticed is that in the past, most of this was happening from the academia. But now what I'm seeing is like, you know, because if you think about the whole purpose is to fine tune further, right? So if you think about Jasper.ai or any of these companies, Sambanova.ai, they're all kind of taking these large language models and doing it purpose built and fine tuning it for a particular domain, marketing, or financial application. Today, if the corporations have large private data sets and they can hire talent and pay for compute when the computer is better, more optimized, they can build some of the best models. So while this is all very fascinating, I will also have a word of caution here. I think uh, you know the biggest, biggest roadblock or pitfall is the truthfulness, the yep. accuracy, misuse, biases, and I can go on and on, copyright infringement. So. Uh, those would be the biggest roadblocks, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I'm gonna. We're gonna get to that in in a second. But Mike, I wanted to see if you think that this is kind of an inflection point. That you know, years from now, we're gonna go. Oh yeah, you know, the whole AI revolution took off in January 2023 or whatever. Like, or is it just be like, oh, you know, or is it more of a gradual kind of curve? If you looked at the chart, I, I think that it's been a gradual curve for the past 10, 15 years. Um, yeah. It really started when. Um, at least I kind of noticed things kind of heading in this direction, you know, five to 10 years ago when OpenAI first started back in, I think they were started back in 2015 or so. Uh -huh. And that was when you started to see new things on the market. I mean, I studied AI when I was doing my, my graduate studies at RIT, and it was not anywhere close to this. It was all about, you know, AI pathing for video game technology and things like that. It, it just was not even remotely close to what you have today. And so I think that the, 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 the part about translating what a person is saying or whether it's typing or speaking, having the computer actually understand what it is that you're asking, that's the piece that is the impressive part about this. 
because that really changes everything. If you can get a computer to understand what it is that you are telling it, right. they can then go do stuff on your behalf. But until it understands that, you're just kind of you know throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. And on top of that, like the, the output of all of this stuff, it really depends a lot on what it is that you're trying to do. What are the use cases? And until you find use cases, um, it's very difficult to, to determine whether or not a particular technology is going to be game changing or not. And in this case, you've got AI that is just starting to get to the point where it can understand what a human is telling it and then respond accordingly. Right, right. And that... Well, provides all sorts of applications. Yeah, the what impresses me about ChatGPT is the, the the not only can you get really specific about certain things and it understands that, uh, but also at the speed at which it returns kind of the text to you. Uh, I had it write a poem about this show, and it came up with a like a ten line poem. Some of it rhymed, some of it didn't. But, you know, it was like it was a lot faster than I could write a poem about it. Um, th- there's a lot of other examples out there of, of how, you know, so it's the speed that's really impressive. And, and I'm trying to think of like, well, I could use that to kind of create a, a baseline and then take that poem and then actually fit better words or, or reduce it to make the timing a little bit better of the poem. Um, things like that are, are impressive. Me. And that's where I think we're at this week, or, or at least the last couple of weeks of people just going to the site, trying it out, and then going either wow or oh, it still needs work. Um, the same thing with, with the, the artwork. I went to Dolly, too. I'm just going to show you guys a, a something real quick. Um, I had it type in. I, I wanted to create like a fake album cover for my, my, my new rock band uh, type thing, and I'm going to show that to the audience as well. And this was four images that it came up. But when I typed it in, it was like create an album cover illustration of a man sitting on a bed with headphones uh, and a dog in the room while outside a nuclear war is going on. I mean, that's pretty specific stuff. Um, but it came up with these four these four images. Um, but obviously, I could still tell that this is drawn by AI. And so, yeah. I, I, on the one hand, when you see examples of Dolly, it's you're like, eh, you know, oh, they look really good. But then when you dig deep into something that's specific, you get a little, it, you could just tell. And so, but this is a lot better than the stuff that came out, you know, six to seven months ago when you could really tell that the art was just looking not, not cool. Um, this album comes out later in the, in the fall and uh, <laughs> we'll be on Spotify and Apple Music and it's me singing. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not actually making any of that stuff. So <laughs> with, with this speed, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. With the speed of how, how many things are coming out with the use cases, how concerned are you that these tools may be sprouting up too fast without concerns? Like, you know, uh, Ritu, you mentioned a lot of roadblocks, um, things like intellectual property, uh, things like copyright, discussions around bias, discussions about truthfulness, about how true this data is. Is this the point where, where we as a tech community and, and, and leaders in the space need to have to start having these discussions? Or is it already too late for, for these types of, of discussions? Ritu. Yeah, I mean, I you ask fantastic questions, Keith. I have to tell oh, you. Oh, thank that, you. Right? So, um, I definitely would say that it's not just the responsibility of the technical community. I mean, that is my number one belief. That you know, a lot of ownership has just been put on the technical community. It is a collective responsibility. And in fact, you know, with some of the emerging regulations, which is not just about generative AI, it has to catch up. But some of the regulations that are coming up in the AI space itself which has been a little bit delayed in my humble opinion, because there was a lot of, you know, whether the existing regulations could be used and there was a lot of confusion, but some of them are coming, especially in the financial services, very clear 
where it states that the board and the C-suite needs to have accountability and need to present. So it's a collective responsibility. It has to start with the C-suite, the C, and they have to kind of, you know, there's a lot of lack of education and awareness as to what it can do, how it can be done. So for example, like, you know, OpenAI has been very, very clear about it, that it is nowhere perfect. It is for testing, right. it lacks robustness, but still people are going in all the directions and trying to use it and say, you know, call out on the issues. Yeah, my Microsoft, when, yeah, when it introduced, it also kind of said that it has to be with the guardrails. So the point that I'd like to make is that, that there will be tools that are coming up, but it is a collective responsibility and we need to kind of come up, you know, accelerate our speed to kind of get things done in in, in a much more responsible way. Yeah, Mike, what, what kind of conversations do, does the tech community need to have with, with other people? Because I can only imagine that legislators in Congress, I mean, I'm going to roll my eyes whenever they get around to, <laughs> to regulating it. What, what, in 10 years after, after all of this finally comes out and is better than what we've got now? Yeah, I mean, I... I hesitate to say that there's, you know, uh, that it's never too late to have the conversations uh, because right. obviously there are going to be times where it is too late. Those conversations really should have happened earlier, but the earlier those conversations happen, the better. Um, I mean, you can, there's, there's classic problems in the software and engineering space about, um, I think the one was called, uh, who do you kill? And you think about something like Tesla's self-driving car and it's driving down the road. There's you know, the concrete barrier is on either side and then the concrete barriers open up on one side and a pregnant woman with a stroller steps out in the middle of the street. Right. But on the right hand side of the of the road, like you can either go left, you can probably kill the driver. You can go straight and kill the pregnant woman and the kid or you can go right into the group of people that are standing there. And the question is, who do you kill? Right. And on right. top of that, then you get into things, the legal aspects of, well, what are the legal responsibilities of the people who are building that technology? How do you account for it afterwards? How do you verify that the software did the right thing in that particular situation? And how do you determine how the software made those decisions? You need to be able to uh, uh, establish essentially an audit trail of why did the computer make this decision and can we make that algorithm better? Yeah, And, it, explain, and sometimes yeah, the data is hard. Explainability has been one of those things that I still have not gotten any really good answers from people that develop AI. Like I, I keep saying, like, how do we know that, you know, why did this AI make the decision it made in whatever it's trying to do? Now, obviously with something like ChatGPT, it's not, I don't think it's as important unless you're just trying to verify the validity of, of the statement or the, you know, I don't want it to write a news story. And I, and we've covered this with some of the news editors here in, in last week's uh, episode. It's, but it, but again, the explainability has never been explained to me in a great way. Maybe I need an AI to explain explainability, and <laughs> now my head is spinning. Um, yeah. But but so I, I again, I want to switch gears to this Microsoft uh, Voice. The thing that really terrifies me is this voice sample, um, this Volley V A L L E, and and yeah. I don't know if you if you've heard some of the samples, but they sound really good. Um, yeah. yeah. And they've come a long way. Yeah. yeah, but thankfully, Microsoft is not releasing this to the public. If they did, I think there would be even more outrage or people, because the first thing I think about when you imitate a sample of someone's voice and create a an AI voice of separate words, you're not just, you've got a three-second word sample, and then they can then have that voice say whatever it wants to. When you combine that with all of the problems of deep fakes and video, now you can merge this into one gigantic um, 
problem. And, you know, the first two things I thought of were the there was the movie The Terminator 2 when um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Killer Robot, and I hate going to that whole Killer Robot thing, but his robot was able to imitate the voice of John Connor while he was on the phone with his stepmother. And it's like, or foster mother. And you watch that clip and you're like, okay, well, that's, that's what you could do with this technology is imitate someone's voice. Uh, the, other, the other one that I thought of was the security movie uh, Sneakers, which came out in 1992, and they used uh, a tape recorder to grab the whole passphrase. Uh, my voice is my passport was the famous phrase from that. And again, this was now 30 years ago, this movie came out. And uh, back then they were splicing tapes, but now if you've got a computer program that can basically, oh, I've got a, sa- a five-second sound clip of, of, of Keith, and then they could take that, and then they can call one of my relatives and, and, and pretend to be me and say, oh, I'm stuck in, in Africa, or I'm stuck in, in, I need money, and uh, there's just so many different, and they, or they could break any, into any place where there's a voice password with, with that I have. It, like, does that terrify you guys too, or is it, or am I just overreacting here? Ritu, I don't think it's or, unfounded. Mike, um, yeah, yeah. The, the any technology that comes out, um, there's potential for abuse, um, and it does not matter what it is, whether it's you know software, hardware, um, that like literally anything can be abused, and it's uh, it can often be used in ways that the creators did not intend it for it to be used because they can't possibly think of every single application. Usually it's a bunch of researchers or um, you know computer science professors that are working on something and trying to build this technology that they think is going to be useful in some way, but they can't envision every possible way that it could be used. And so you end up with things like, you know, um, back in the day you had modems and they had like little flashy lights to tell you when it was transmitting data. Well, they were able to take lasers and read the bits that are being transmitted off of that. Um, obviously people don't really use modems anymore, but right. there were security implications there. Yeah, and, and this is really not any different. Like things will be used in ways that they didn't intend. And it's up to us as a, a community of humanity to try and figure out ways to mitigate those problems. And there's always going to be sort of a, a, a back and forth or an arms race between the, the creators and the people who are abusing those technologies. Right. Yeah. I, it, and at least on the, the Valley site that, that gave you an example of the different samples that they had, uh, at the bottom of the page, there's an ethics statement. And it says, you know, since Valley could synthesize speech that maintains speaker identity, it may carry potential risks and misuse of the model, such as spoofing voice identification or impersonating a specific speaker. And then it goes on to say, like, you know, it understands that this this could be used, and I just hope that I don't know. If, I don't even know if I'd want this release unless I. I don't even know. I this thing this, this thing just frightens me. Ritu, what, what do you think about yeah. all this? Yeah, Keith, I think uh, you know you both covered it pretty well, so it's pretty comprehensive, and there's real valid concerns. I think one of the lowest hanging fruit and the best solution in the interim uh, to I mean, apart from the ethics and all is to actually some sort of an identification that it is AI generated. I think it's that that's the the, me, the least possible that these technology suppliers could support. Just the way we heard about GPT-0 and Mark, watermark, right? Yeah. So similarly in this case, as long as it is letting you know that this is actually AI generated, you can understand what it is, right? So I think that's the least that people can do. And apart from that, you know, uh, as uh, you know, Mike was saying, of course you have to think, use things responsibly. It is as part of a community. 
that we have the responsibility, but I'm looking forward to some sort of an identification that it is AI generated. Right. At the bare yeah. Time. I mean, I, I remember uh, 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 20 years ago, we were testing some of these biomet early biometric things, and we were trying to come up with ways to fake out a facial facial recognition exactly you know we were you know we we used a a fake mask to see if that would fool the system so i would imagine that if anybody was using voice recognition as a security tool that they would also then figure out a way to see if the ai generated uh audio was actually legitimate right mike i mean i think you you've heard of some things right I, I have. The problem with even putting identifiers in there is that it's possible to strip those things out. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, it, it, there's always going to be a way to do it. And even if you put it into the software and you make it, you know, hard to decrypt and make it so that it, like it, it establishes those identifiers or watermarks, whether it's a visual image or a, a sound bite or something like that. There's ways to strip those things out. Like MP3 format is a lossy compression format. And so therefore things get lost when you compress those MP3s into smaller files or you translate it from you know CD quality to phone quality. Some of that data gets lost. And so therefore you could also lose some of those watermark identifiers and it would not look, you know, it would sound to the human ear like it's perfectly fine. But the, like stripping out those watermarks isn't going to change it, but it's going to make it impossible to identify whether or not that was AI generated or not. And that's that's where you start running into these issues. And it becomes a, a ethics problem of as the creator of these tools, what are you doing to make sure that it isn't misused or abused? And Microsoft does have you know, their own, um, I, I forget what they call it. I remember reading it at one point, but it was essentially their uh, AI ethics standards that they adhere to. And that's part of why they never released, uh, you know, the the tool to the right. public because it can be misused and they recognized how badly it could be misused. Yeah. And, it's, and it's a question of, well, how do you get this out into the world in such a way that people can use it, but it is not egregiously abused because the problem is once that cat is out of the bag you're not putting it back right in. i don't think they could just do sort of like a pinky swear like okay just pretend that you're going <laughs> to use this for for good um yeah and i think from a security standpoint i think that also then means we're probably going to end up we already have a lot of two-factor authentication methods for getting through so it wouldn't be just my voice that would let me through but then they would have to send me a text or and then a thumbprint and then it, it's going to be like six-factor authentication just for me to use my atm at some point um, I'm hoping that that doesn't happen because even even I get annoyed by two factor authentication. So um, yeah, but Keith, yeah. I think what we're trying to come to the understanding is that it has to be a combination of all the things. Like assuming that you know there'll be some smart players who would actually you know take off the watermark and do all of that stuff. But at least it's a starting point, not for you know every situation to be kind of compromised. But it's a combination of ethics. It has to be put against with the right set of guardrails. It has to be put with the right set of, you know, um, due diligence and governance and practices, all of that, right? But community has to come together in, in it. Right. And, and one way I can see that happening is they charge for it. And the only way to access it is through this paywall that Microsoft has in place or whoever the vendor is, because there's a certain point at which it is no longer viable or even worth it to be using tools like that, especially on the low end where you're trying to, you know, scam people's grandmothers and into sending money overseas. Like that's that's a big problem today. If you get these types of tools, 
it could become a bigger problem. But then it's a question of, well, what is actually the right price point? And then you've got you know people trying to make those determinations and run analysis on different things. And again, you're like, you're not going to get perfect. There's always going to be things that slip through the crack. And that's what makes this so hard. Yeah. And, and even in the real world, Keith and yeah. Mike, we have so many gotchas, right? I mean, people joke that you go and trust a doctor completely when he or she is advising you on something, right? Uh, do you do you go ahead and no. you know? <laughs> I don't trust I, them. I used but to that's trust okay. my doctor. I don't know if I do lately, but yeah. Uh, you we'll know, I'm just yeah. Broadly speaking, you 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 might go and take another advice and you know do that right. But at sure. the same time, when you are entrusting yourself in the hands of someone, I think it has to be a combination because I want to focus on the positive impacts that these technologies can bring. Right. There right. are so many use cases where it's really really kind of you know going to shine and and as long as it's done with the right guardrails the right practices and the right support you know it, it's a combination of all of them that will help it uh, kind of scale does does the does the popularity of these tools you know open the gates for kind of other types of ai applications and, and you know and help improve their acceptance or do you think that that the general public might might be like whoa let's let's take a step back or maybe like where do you see this? Is this, I mean, is this going to mean that your AI project that you've been working on is now going to be accepted more from the business, so to speak, at Ritu? Like, do you think this is going to be an exponential effect as well? So I think what it has done is that it has raised the awareness, you know, so I have been inundated by questions from everyone, you know, in the C-suite, whether it's in my own company or in other companies, how can we use this? Where can we use this? What are the, you know, and people are going to the other extreme right now that they're thinking that if they can write complete full reports, they can do the survey analysis, they can do, you know, uh, write the core, you know, uh, uh, write the full, uh, you know, uh, reports. So there's so many kind of, you know, uh, lack of awareness, right? So they're going to, so from an awareness perspective, it has definitely raised a lot of awareness. Yeah. But having said that, uh, would you kind of, you know, a, a, an enterprise jump into uh, adopting it uh, without the due diligence? The answer would be no. But it has opened the floodgates for a lot more use cases. And I can go on and on in terms of so many use cases that we are tracking. And we can talk about it. But I'll let Mike chime in first. And yeah. then we can talk about some of the use cases. Yeah, I, I feel like those are two very different questions in terms of, you know, is it opening the floodgates for other types of AI tools? And I think absolutely it is, because when you have this technology that allows the computer to understand what it is that you're saying and interpret it properly, then you, you just unlock all these other use cases. In terms of acceptance, that's a very different question, because just yeah. because something exists doesn't mean that people accept it or want to use it or trust it. And trust is a huge factor when it comes to the types of, to, to these types of technologies. And it just makes it, uh, you know, the, the acceptance factor as things become more mainstream or become more viable or, or the, you know, they get the cool factor. You get more people interested in studying these things and kind of, I don't want to say jump on the bandwagon, but kind of following that as a career path and then expanding on them, building them, uh, making them better. And that in turn can create this sort of a snowball effect, so to speak. Uh, and it, you know, kind of raises the, you know, the, the, the rainwater raises all boats equally. I mean, not obviously not when you've got companies like Microsoft pouring $10 billion. Yeah. In. I certainly don't have $10 billion, but, you know. <laughs> If they want to send that man my way, then by all means. I would love $10 billion. Yeah. I'd, I'd love yeah. a fraction of that at, the, at this point. Um, you get $10 billion. You get 10 <laughs> billion. 
The trust issue is really cool or a really interesting part as well. Like, you know, I relate this to the autonomous cars uh, and, and all the, that development, which, again, uses artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning types of algorithms. Um, but getting, you know, I've seen surveys, some people, you know, they, of the general public, you know, they don't trust uh, autonomous cars or they might not get into an autonomous car. Whereas a guy like me, I love technology. I had happily just try to jump into a car, just to see just to see where we are at this point. But so, and again, because I feel like I would trust the company that was offering me the ride. Maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's the way to, to to get rid of me. Oh, Keith, come on in and ride in this car. But I just want to ask, you know, since you since you're both aware of artificial intelligence and where we are, like, would you get into an autonomous car at this point? Yes or no. Uh, I would definitely don't mind just getting a quick, uh, you know, a yeah, quick ride experience. experience. Uh huh. Yeah. Mike, have you gotten in one yet? Yeah. Or I would say it depends. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, you know, you leave out a lot of you okay. know, questions, it's answers a, to a lot of questions. That's I a have. fair, that's a fair point. All right. If you, uh, would you get on an, on a, an autonomous shuttle at an airport in a closed route with no other human drivers around? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Like I, that, w- that would be fine. Right. I, like I had I had laser surgery a while ago. It was probably 10, 12 years ago, something like that. And they asked if I wanted the computer assisted version or if I want the doctor to do it. I was like, I will take the computer one because, you know, bottom line is it's 25, 25 times more accurate than the doctor doing it by hand. Right. Now, if and I, so. Yeah. So if I ask the question, would you get into an autonomous vehicle that's also then on going to drive down the Massachusetts Turnpike into downtown no. Boston? With, no, with 50 no, other no. Boston drivers. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, not at all. Right. Probably like, not, no. So I, yeah. I, if, if I may just yeah. give one example here, like, you know, a couple of years back, I'll tell you um, less than five years back or, you know, a decade, when the first time we all got this automated, uh, you know, uh, you could do your uh, banking uh, online. And uh, I, I was very hesitant. You know, I was very old school. I would actually go to the bank to deposit my checks. I would never use Apple Pay. I've come a long way in just less than, you know, four or five years in a decade. My son was always into it right yeah. from the day. So the millennials are always into it. The new generations, they're always into it. So it's just also a difference in the age pop, pop you know, the age of the population, the different cultures. Those will also come into play. Some people who have just born and seen all these technologies, I don't think they're that paranoia as you and me, some of us <laughs> would be. Right? So, I mean, bring that perspective as well. I, I think the other thing is that, like your example of would you trust getting on a, a shuttle that goes down and, and deals with Boston traffic? The answer is, for me right now, and you said at this point in time, at this point in right. time, the answer to that, my answer to that would be no. Yeah. And the reason is because there's all these other people that are also out on the road who are driving and they are unpredictable. Right. If you have like sensors on all the vehicles and it's only computers and only like cars that are being are self-driving yeah i would and it's because i trust the computer more than i trust the humans around me to not be unpredictable right i think the same point i was making about the doctors right we trust the doctors right now but when it becomes mainstream we'll start trusting the recommendations you know i mean there are so many things which it's humanly impossible you know i've come across startups that they're using blood sample to predict that whether you'll get cancer there's no way in a lot of situations where cause you know, doctors or hospitals can predict it without doing all this. It's better than nothing. And then slowly it will become commercially mainstream that that would be 
you know, very, very uh, valuable insights for all of us. I, I wanted so. to just jump in with another point about about the uh, the age of the person using the technology. Yeah. Just a quick yeah. story for Ritu. So I'm going to make you not feel that bad because... I was at a I was at a bar with a bunch of other people that were uh, younger than me, and and we were trying to split the bill. And one person wanted to pay with his credit card, and then he said, "Well, just Venmo me the money." And I have a Venmo, but I didn't have it on my new phone yet. And I spent the next fifteen minutes trying to remember what my password one was remember what my password was, and then get it to validate it on my phone, and then final and then make sure that I was the right account. I was. And finally, I just wanted to like, and then I realized as I was leaving the bar that there was an ATM machine right there. I should have just gone over there and given the cash to the guy. But like getting through that process for me was just like, why am I doing this? Like, why can't I just give you a credit card and split the bill that way? But anyway, that's 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 another side question. I do have another question related back to uh, the business here with ChatGPT and these AI applications. Um, and, and you brought this up a little bit, uh, Ritu, is how does a technology leader or a technology enthusiast that are working in a business, and you know that, that the business unit leaders or the people that um, probably don't know as much about technology, they're seeing headlines about ChatGPT. They're, they're going, oh, AI is it. Oh, oh if we've got to have an AI thing at our company. Like I've, we're already starting to see that from, from different, different companies. Like, how do you tell them, okay, hold on, or let me explain this to you. Like, what advice would you give to those, those IT people or the, or the business unit leaders? Like, do you say, yep, we should do this. This is great. Or you'd be like, let's hold off and figure out our use cases. It's probably a longer conversation, but what, what kind of advice would you guys give? So I'm going to say that the first thing that they have to start is with education, right? And collaboration. So they basically have to align, you know, with their peers in the other part of the business. And kind of, you know, when I talk about AI, regardless of whether it's generative AI in the broader scheme of things, it always has to start with what is your strategy? You need to have a center of excellence and a governance board right. as a, you know, if not an as an afterthought, but right from the get-go. So that education, that collaboration, that's why I was very, very passionate when I said that it is not just technical uh, people responsibility, it's a combination, it's the folks have to come together. So there's a lot of uh, no lack of know-how in the industry right now. And they are kind of getting, you know, excited about all the, you know, the buzz. So it starts with the basic education. It starts with what are you trying to do? What are your business outcomes that right. you're trying to do? Educate them. What are the caveats right now? I mean, OpenAI itself has cautioned on truthfulness and accuracy, right? right. So all that needs to be brought in. And do do it in a judicious way, right? Do a pilot, put in all the right sets and checks and balances. Like I'll give you an example. Um, you know, uh, a very uh, big one of the uh, large consulting firm, they actually wanted to test the, uh, you know, the GitHub co-pilot that is based on chat GPT 3.5. And they put together a six-week pilot with 55 developers. And the majority of them noted 65% code accuracy and with 20% improvement in code development. So that's the way to look at it. What worked? What did not work? How do you want to roll it forward? Have that, you know, uh, upfront conversation. It's not about saying, if you say no, that's not a good sign. Okay. If you say yes, that's not a good sign. So it, it's actually somewhere in between where you actually have to figure out what is your overall strategy? What are your prioritization? How do you go about yeah. put together the framework and pilot it and then, you know, but we're 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 gonna, we're gonna see a lot of bad ideas though coming out in the future, right? Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, again, and I hate to say, I, I don't want to sound elitist because I do know a lot. I do know stuff about technology, but like, I'm sure that like there's going to be some really bad ideas. And how do you sort of put the kibosh on those bad ideas? And, and Mike, you've, you've experienced this from a software programming. It's not just AI. Like people can come up with bad ideas, whatever they want. Right. And like yeah. as, as an, as a, as an IT guy and as a, as a, as a software engineer, how do you tell the, the, the business unit person that's coming up with this idea that is it, is it more of a, is it more of an improv thing where you go, yes, and here's what we should do kind of a thing. I, I think Ritu gave a much more politically <laughs> correct answer than I would have. Cause my, my initial response to your question of like, how do you respond to them is to ask the question, well, how much of an idiot is your boss? Because <laughs> it, oh it, really, it, yeah. it does boil down to that. I mean, I've I've done consulting for like over a hundred large companies, um, anywhere from like NASDAQ, uh, Pfizer, GlaxoSmithKline, Department of Defense. Like I've worked with a lot of big companies and you, you work with these CEOs or CTOs and some of them really have a firm hand uh, on the pulse of technology and other ones are completely clueless. Like I've, I've walked into some organizations where they're like, oh, our networking doesn't work. And it's, well, your DNS is all screwed up. That's not it. And I, and I can prove that it actually is. It, they just don't know what they're doing sometimes. Right. And so the real, you know, like, as she said, like, it's a real question of education. What is, and you have to start asking questions. And sometimes you have to be very diplomatic about how you ask those questions, depending on who it is. Right. Because they may not know sometimes they just don't know what they don't know. They don't know what questions to ask. They don't know, you know, some of the terminology and it does boil down to educating them. And are they open and receptive to that education? Because if they are not, you are in for a world of trouble. Yeah. So there's, so there's the answer that, that will come out of your, uh, out of your mouth, which is what Ritu said. And then there's the answer that's inside your head, which is what Mike said, right? Like that's probably right. where we're at. Um <laughs> So uh, also yeah. just one second okay. that I would like to kind of, you know, reemphasize it, build your partnership and collaboration and make sure that, you know, you're having some partners in crime with you. And when you're saying something that you don't come across as that a naysayer, but you're kind of building that, you know, collaborative spirit where you can actually collectively make a decision. Right. 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 So you always have to start with what is the business outcome that they're trying to achieve? Yep, right. is, are there different d approaches to solving that problem? Is, is technology, a lot of time we put the blame on the technology. It's not the technology, which is the problem. Sometimes it's the people and process also is the problem. Exactly. Right? So exactly. I think uh, building that collaborative partnership uh, would be could be a right way to go and proceed with whichever decision you make. All right. So just my, my final question for the for the for you guys today is um, when you look at the use cases for chat GPT and AI that have come out in the last couple of weeks, um, again, I. I I started with a, a couple of examples at the beginning of the show. What use cases out there have you seen that uh, you like and that you think are very positive? And then it, are there any ones that are weird? Like, for example, for me, or that are weird. And, and the, the robot lawyer thing just seems to me like a publicity stunt. I, you know, they're, they're going to use it to try to get out of a parking ticket and they're not going to tell the judge. And it's like, OK, I, I'll pass on that one. Uh, but some of the other examples are, are interesting. Uh, what have you seen that that made you go, oh, that's that's kind of cool. I'd, I'd like to try that. Uh, Ritu, you want to go first? Yeah, yeah, sure. See, since I focus, uh, you know, I mean, there are examples from the consumer side, so I, I'll just leave them aside for now. Okay. And I focus more on the enterprise side because, you know, we are in kind of, you know, bracing a potential recession. There are lots of concerns. 
I've had the CFO's headline that, you know, cut costs, not jobs. And, you know, while AI is always kind of, you know, beaten up saying that it will take away jobs, uh, those are all subject to discussion, but there are lots of ways. We are not getting additional resource help and all. So when I look at it, you know, these tools which can help you augment, get you jumpstart, can get you do things that you can actually take it the first cut and kind of take it from there. Anything that helps humans augment their insights, augment their productivity, augment their, you know, none of us want to come here and sit and do, you know, lines and lines of reports, you know, the the basic cut and paste things here and there, right. doing social media posts. So like Jasper.ai, what it has been doing to create original content from marketing, from emails, analyzing. I've heard a company called as Viable. It actually does, uh, takes all uh, qualitative data from help desk tickets, surveys, CRM, review, and uh, put together a summary for what the customers think about the products. Those are beneficial. These are huge low hanging fruit. Uh, GitHub Copilot is interesting. Of course, there are some controversies around it, but from a pure use case perspective, it's interesting. I'll give you another example. Mattel is actually using the technology to generate images for toy design and marketing. Those are huge productivity and cost savings. You right, know, right. It takes years to do that. So these are just some very, very, you know, uh, large investment firm. I heard that they're trying to kind of, you know, uh, take OpenAI GPT-3 to fine-tune training on wealth management content so that the financial advisors can search their existing knowledge in the firm and create tailored content for their clients easily. These are like phenomenal. I mean, I would love if these things are, you know, who wants to kind of go through all these pain every time? So, right. And, 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 Mike, and yeah, Mike, I want to get to you as well. Um, I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I do want to ask you this question, too. A lot of the things that we were talking about with ChatGPT is really helping software engineers with writing code. Um, mm-hmm. That was a big positive. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? And then if there's another use case that you want to kind of jump in of like what, what's impressing you at the at the moment? Yeah, I think I, the the word that Ritu used was augmenting the the things that you're already doing today. Yeah, um, and I, and I, that that's a, an amazing use case that I think is really going to take off in the near future. Um, you know, obviously people are starting to use it already, but it's great for prototyping things, uh, whether it's a story or getting started on something. Um, even with software, if you're writing a, a new web app and you've got a, a completely blank slate. Some developers love that because it's called greenfield development. You get to basically write everything from the ground up. The problem with that is you have to write everything from the ground up and it sucks. <laughs> yeah, Like it, it really does. And there's a lot of what I'll call boilerplate code that you have to put in place in order to make an app actually do anything, whether it's a web app or you know iOS or Android or what have you. Um, there's all this boilerplate stuff that you have to have in place. Now there's a lot of frameworks out there that can help you, whether it's you know, Django or Rails or all these different things out there that, uh, you know, it, it gives you a framework to work from, but then you end up with a lot of those tools really kind of start to look the same. Uh, they have the same look and feel, you know, Bootstrap uh, as a CSS framework comes to mind, uh, Tailwind CSS, all these things give you a very similar look and feel, but it's not just your app that has that look and feel, it's everyone else's who has also used those same technologies. So the reality is if you're trying to use AI to help get away from that look and feel to make it look like you built something from the ground up and create all that boilerplate code for you. That's a great use case for it. Now, when you get into like optimizing things, you really need humans to start looking at that. And I'm not saying that an AI could never do that, but I don't think it's there today. And there are, there are ways to do things better in code 
that a computer would have a hard time coming up with those. Right. And, and I think about that with the, with the artwork stuff that, that is coming out there, where if, if you could have the idea sort of started by a, an AI, then I think you can then kind of go in and then add your little touches. And again, starting at that baseline, starting with, with, in, with the blank canvas, most people don't like that unless you're an actual artist. I, I mean, I'm not. So I, I don't mind the tool that starts me off and then I can just add my, my little Photoshop skills at that point. Um, right, great conversation. I, I know we could talk for hours on this, so uh, but I, we are running out of time. I want to uh, thank you guys for both being here on the show today. It was a, gr- a great discussion. So thank you. Uh, thanks thank for having you, us. All right. Thank you for having us. Uh, And that's all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you for watching. If you liked this video, be sure to like and subscribe and join us each week on Today in Tech. And don't forget to let us know what you guys think about ChatGPT in the comments below. Are we looking too far into the tea leaves or are these concerns justified? And we'll see you on the next episode.